This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. There's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. This week, we'll look at the secret to Matt Duffy's success. We'll also look at the week gone by with Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun, visit with a pair of Rays minor league managers, and much more. We continue with This Week in Rays Baseball. Our feature guest this week is Matt Duffy. And, Matt, you've had a terrific start to this season. What has it meant to you in light of all that you went through last year and part of the year before? Um, you know, it's definitely feels good to prove to myself that uh, I can still be the same player I was before uh, the injury. Obviously, that's kind of the big question whenever you're coming off of an injury is, is your body going to still respond the same and to playing every day and, and grinding through everything? And, you know, I've had some, some you know, bumps and everybody's got little things they're dealing with. But, uh, you know, it, it, we're making progress every day. And, um, yeah, to be able to come back and perform, it definitely feels good. What have you learned about yourself throughout the process? You know, that I guess no matter how dark things seem when uh, when you're going through something, you always have an opportunity to uh, kind of right the ship and, and bounce back. And, you know, as, as much as people are, people can be fickle and they think in the moment, but because of that, you can uh, you can still bounce back and prove them that, that uh, you know, you're still, you're still here and you can still perform and you're still a good baseball player, I guess. You brought up the word dark, so how dark did it get for you at any point? I mean, you know, there was definitely times that uh, when you're spinning your wheels and you're, you're constantly going through rehab programs and nothing seems to be working, you start thinking about life after baseball and um, you start picking up little hobbies that, you know, seem so simple, but anything to just really pass the time and uh, you start thinking about where, where you're going to go back to school and, you know, other ways to provide for yourself and future family hopefully you know that that don't involve baseball and um but obviously haven't had to deal with that at this point this year so (laughs) and i'm kind of glad that's the case although i'm kind of curious about your hobbies we'll get into that as we go um as a hitter though how what what amazes me is how you've been able to get your timing after all that time missed why do you think you've been able to do what you've done so far this year offensively more than the defense the base running those things you know, for one, a lot of hard work, putting a lot of time on the cage and in the cage. Just mechanically, it's just being as balanced as possible and being under control and not letting the pitcher control the tempo of the at-bat, but I'm in control of the at-bat. Keeping my mindset as simple as possible, just trying to get a good pitch to hit. And work-wise, we do a lot of machine, a lot of stuff to – I do a lot of machine specifically um, to make sure that my timing is crisp because 
you know, off a of front toss and tee work and even batting practice on the field from a coach, uh, you can get away with a lot of things mechanically that you can't get away with against 95. So we try to replicate uh, game reps as much as possible. And with that is the machine from, from the pitcher's mound distance, just like you'd see in a game. And um, kind of a combination of all those things just really helped to speed up the process of getting back into the swing of things. How do you, and, and did you learn more about yourself as a hitter with the time off? And how do you see yourself now? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, going back to 2016, you know, I had a lot of struggles, uh, especially offensively, uh, just kind of hitting with a lot of stress in the box. I wasn't a stressed person in general, but when I was in the box, I felt very stressed, a lot of anxiety. And it's something that kind of happens without you even realizing it, you know, and it wasn't until having all last year off, I was able to kind of take a step back and watch a lot of other guys kind of have a third person perspective of, of other guys going through their struggles and their successes and and uh, seeing how they reacted and, you know, kind of comparing that to myself and how I reacted in 2016. And it's, you know, kind of dawned on me, like, of course I struggled because I didn't, I wasn't thinking about the right things, you know, so that, that was a, a positive of having the time off. You know, anytime you struggle with something, I try to take a positive out of it, whether it's a bad at bat, you can usually take a positive out of something. So that's what, after being, depressed and annoyed at my Achilles for so long I finally started thinking okay what's it what's something that I can get out of this um, and that was definitely the biggest thing is checking it in and making sure my mental process in the box and just how I thought about the game in general was was right again and it certainly paid off how can you I mean it's hard to call you a veteran veteran but how can you be an influence on some of the young kids here because obviously your approach is a good one yeah I think um, you know what I try to impress on them is to just keep things simple don't overthink it don't be in awe of the stage or who you're facing you always got to realize that yeah these guys are good that we're playing against but they still make mistakes and our job is not to sit here and revel at how good they are but our job is still we're no longer baseball fans when we're playing these guys you know I'm a fan of the game and I think it's, it's really fun to watch some of these guys we play against but when I'm playing against them specifically when they come to town that's not my job my job is to find their weakness and exploit it as best as possible and some guys are obviously more difficult than others to find their weakness because they don't make as many mistakes, but they still make mistakes. Everybody here is human. We're going to have good days and bad days, and um, you know that's kind of how you have to approach the game. For me, anyways, no matter who's on the mound, you still have an opportunity to, to beat them. Who helped lead you when you were at the Giants and were on a World Series team, and how can you take what you learned from them to help Bowers, Adamas, Robertson, etc.? <clears throat> Probably the biggest influence was uh, Buster Posey. We talked a lot about different approaches to different guys and just kind of the day-to-day -day stuff. One of the biggest influences when I first came up was actually Gregor Blanco. He was also in kind of a pinch-hitting fourth outfielder role. A couple guys got hurt, and he was the starting center fielder for the whole postseason run. Um, but he taught me a lot of things about how to keep yourself ready when you're not playing every day, how to mentally approach improving yourself every day and, and providing something to, to help the team win. Really, that's your goal is, what can I do today to help the team win? If I'm not playing, it doesn't matter. There's something I can do to help the team win, whether it's be prepared for a reliever, to have a really good at-bat against, uh, if it's to get a bunt down, all those things. And those are all things that you have to work at, even when you're playing every day. But you especially have to work at them when you're not playing every day because you're not in the rhythm of things and you're not up to game speed, I guess they say. So always kind of working on the finer points and doing little things like instead of just hitting flips, you know, during the game, if I'm not playing, hit machine. Because then that first pitch you see that's 96 from a nasty reliever 
if you've only done flips, that's going to seem pretty firm. So just little stuff like that that he really impressed on me to, to prepare yourself in every little way to try to get that edge no matter what your role is. And, you know, that's a guy, Gregor Blanco, to me, that has had an unbelievable attitude. And he always plays on a winning team, it seems like. And to me, that's not an accident. He's, he's a great influence in the clubhouse, positive, always happy. He gets frustrated when he's not playing, just like anybody else. But he also understands that it's it's not personal, and, and he understands his role and how to help the team win within that role. Do you think you can help the kids here grow in that way? I think so. I'm I'm, I'm kind of providing little snippets. I feel like here and there. Um, ultimately, it comes down to them um, believing that they belong here. That's kind of the the biggest thing I think is is their belief that they belong on this stage and playing against these players and teams that we're playing against. But you try to kind of nudge them in that direction. You, you can't, what's the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So you kind of try to push them in the right direction. And if they're kind of veering off course, you try to nudge them back on the straight, on the straight line. So, you know, just kind of pushing them that way to, to believe that they belong and that they're here for a reason. All right, think back as a kid. When did you really want to become a true big leaguer? And also in your big league career, when did you finally believe you belonged? I mean, I, as far as I can remember, I was doing, you know, going through the the scenario, game seven, two outs, bases loaded in my front yard. So I guess you could say I had dreams of becoming a big leaguer, but I never really believed that – I never really focused on becoming a big leaguer, I guess. I always focused on being the best I could at the current level that I was at. And if I did that, then the next level would – I would get to the next level. And even the day I got called up, I didn't think that I was ready for the big leagues yet. And it probably wasn't until – my first full year in 2015, maybe the the end of 2014, that I felt like, you know, I, I belonged and I had an at-bat against uh, Addison Reed at, at at the Diamondbacks. They got bad. I think it was the eighth inning or ninth inning, maybe a tie game. And I got a hit off him, and it was just like, okay, like that's a pretty good closer. And he was having a pretty good year, you know, and kind of battled him. And that was kind of when I was like, okay, like, I was able to just at least put together a good at bat. Like that's the thing I was most proud about. The fact that I got a hit was kind of icing on the cake. But um, you know that was kind of when I, I guess felt like I'm I'm good. Like I I belong here. And that was 15 or 14. So this is before or after the World Series. This was a couple. This was a couple weeks before the end of the year in 2014. So before the World Series, and then the postseason was just a blur. That was like. I think it was one of those things when it was like the stage is, is so big and I'm so new and young that I didn't understand the stage that I was on. So I was kind of like in a daze the whole postseason. It was awesome. But, um, yeah, I think that, that at bat against Addison Reed is probably the, the moment that I realized that I'm, I'm here. And certainly you've done a terrific job here. From your standpoint, what are the hobbies you picked up? I want to know what you picked up while uh, battling all your injuries, the, one that you, the ones you still keep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I play. I like. I enjoy video games. I think they're fun. They're competitive. That's, you know, all of us. We love to compete, and that's I think why you see a lot of athletes in general across sports playing video games and get really into it. We get really competitive, and I'm sure our girlfriends and wives roll our eyes at like, what are you doing? You know. And um, so I, I did played a lot of video games. Game of choice. Right now it's Fortnite for sure. But last year I played a lot of MLB The Show. I had to get my baseball fix because I wasn't able to play. And it's funny because <laughs> I made my home team on that game 
Fenway Park because I have actually, I, at, up to that point, never really felt comfortable playing at Fenway Park. So I made that my home field in the hopes that, hey, maybe it'll make me comfortable there. And it's weird, man, how your brain works, but we got to Fenway and I felt fine. <laughs> so it's strange. But, uh, yeah, I did a lot of reading, tried to learn a lot about, you know, investing and, you know, kind of just taking my future, I guess, into my own hands a little more financially anyway and still keep up with that stuff. I even I went as far as I picked up, I tried to paint a picture it looks okay. I did like one of those Bob Ross things on Netflix. I followed it and it came out okay, but it was just, it was also pretty frustrating. Um, and I just don't think I have the patience for that, at least right now. Just little things like that. I, <laughs> I bought a Lego set, built some Legos. Like I was trying a lot of different things to keep my mind occupied. This is, that's what I'm saying. Like it was uh, anything to keep my mind off of how annoying and frustrated I was with, uh, with the Achilles for sure. Certainly gives some great perspective. And I know you also do some pretty good community stuff. Are you still on the board of Taylor Hooten? And what does that mean to you? Yeah, um, you know, obviously, looking at me, I'm not a guy who uh, is going to hit a bunch of homers. I'm not a guy who's doping, I guess you could say. So on the selfish side, playing-wise, you know, needs to be a level playing field for us. On the most important side, it's about teaching kids that, you know, being clean is the best way to be. You know, there's there's a lot of negative side effects that come with doing any drugs, um, whether it's drugs to feel good or drugs to, to get an edge. And that's what, you know, it's weird. I, I first heard the Taylor Hooten story a long time ago when it, when it originally happened. Um, I read an article, I think it was in Sports Illustrated or maybe ESPN Magazine, and it was just such an unfortunate thing. So, and, and I remember it hit home for me back then um, when I read the story, I'm like, this is something that I'm never going to do. And when they came to me and wanted me to be the representative for the Rays, it was a no-brainer. Well, you've been a great representative on and off the field for the Rays so far. Keep up the good work. Hopefully we see you in D.C. Thanks, Neil. That would mean the All-Star game. We appreciate Matt Duffy joining us. We'll continue in just a moment with This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with me. Joining me now to look at the week gone by from Fox Sports Sun, Doug Wechter. Doug, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Neil, how you doing, buddy? Very good. I mean, the Rays have a chance to do something special today. The Yankees have not been swept in a series. They've not even lost three in a row at all this year. And the Rays are in very good position, in large part because they pitched and caught it the last two days extremely well. Oh, man, you're not kidding. Just the way the Rays have been playing over the last two games has been really inspiring to watch. I mean, you got the rookies coming through, uh, clutch situations, and then you look at the, the race staff overall in the bullpen and what they've done just in the last 19 innings. They haven't given up. I think they give up one run over that course of 19 innings. So, obviously, they're pitching the ball extremely well, and, you know, they're picking it on defense like they have been all year. For this team to be now, it's four and five in what I call the, the gauntlet. You're playing 16 games against New York, against Houston, against Washington. Look, you want to win as many games as possible, but I think they've more than held their own so far through the first half and change of this stretch. You agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, we had to go into New York and into Houston, uh, and those two environments are probably some of the toughest environments in the game. And then you put on top of that how good those two teams are. You know, you got the Yankees who are – hitting the ball everywhere, and they're pitching it pretty well. Uh, their bullpen is stacked. And then you see Houston and what they've got in the rotation. So, um, you know, those two teams alone, having to deal with them 
over the past week and continuing to deal with them and the way we've handled it and the way we're playing right now, uh, you know, just taking the last two and having our young guys come through at the right time to do it. I mean, Adamas is coming through. He's, what, four for eight on this series. Uh, Bowers, you know, continues to put together some veteran approaches at the plate. And then you got guys in the bullpen like Yarborough who are just every time they go out there, he got a sixth win of the year. Uh, what was it, two nights ago? And, you know, every time we give him the ball, he just seems to come through for us. So, yeah, it's just been it's been great to watch. It's been very inspiring. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a tough stretch, as you said, the gauntlet. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, th- this is one of the toughest stretches in the game for any team, but we're handling it pretty well so far. No doubt. It, one of the, the pleasant surprises, I would say, would be Wilmer Font. And not only what he did yesterday, but really what he's done since joining the Rays. I know he put up good AAA numbers last year, and that's probably one of the reasons the Rays claimed him and his stuff. But I think he's made the stuff work so far. And, I mean, to do it twice in a row against New York is, to me, the most impressive thing. Right. Well, Neil, I think I remember, you know, early in the year when we picked him up, me and you were sitting in the press box and watching him. We're like, man, this guy has really good stuff. His numbers just aren't translating right now to the big league level. And then you start digging into the numbers, you start realizing it's been the long ball that has really hurt him. Uh, the home run ball is, you know, that's been his Achilles heel. And if he can keep the other team in the park, then he definitely has the stuff to go out there and dominate. And we saw it the last couple times against New York. You know, the first time out in Yankee Stadium in a day game, he goes out and pitches against, you know, the best lineup in the game on their home turf and just does amazing job. And then you see what he did last night. You know, he pitched into the sixth inning. I think, honestly, if, if you ask the coaching staff and you ask everybody over with the Rays, and you say, hey, did you expect this out of Wilmer Font? I can't imagine any of them would say absolutely we expected this good of a performance. I mean, obviously they saw something they really liked, but, you know, Font is just exceeding all expectations right now. But, you know, with his stuff, I, I don't see why he couldn't continue to pitch like this. I mean, he's a mid-90s guy. Uh, he's got a big old curveball. He's able to throw that just about any time. And now that he's keeping other teams in the park and he's not giving up as many home runs you know, at the same rate that he was, I mean, he could be a real weapon for the race. Speaking of weapons, how about Ryan Stanek? Uh, he seems to really be growing up in front of our eyes. And I think kind of believes he belongs right now. Right. You know, Rhino is, uh, he's another guy with this stuff. I mean, obviously, we always knew his fastball was there. He's, you know, sitting 98, 99 miles an hour. He touches triple digits. Uh, it's been the secondary pitches, though. That's the reason that he's been able to succeed and succeed lately, is that he goes in there, and now he's got a slider and a split finger that he can throw behind him account for a strike at any point in time. And that right there, that alone, makes him a pretty much a complete pitcher. And how about the fact that he's either going in, you know, to open games, and then we see him go in as a setup role. I mean, you talk about an emotional roller coaster that, uh, you know, you have to deal with. Opening the game and going in in the eighth, ninth inning in a one-run game, those are two totally different mindsets. But, you know, he's handled it so well. Uh, and it's really fun to watch him pitch now because you can tell he does feel like he belongs in the big leagues, and his stuff is showing that too. Certainly got the biggest out yesterday of Giancarlo Stanton. And with the win yesterday, I mean, it's been separated by road trips. But the Rays have actually won five in a row now at home. How important is it for such a young group to win at home and start to establish some sort of dominance on their home field? Well, it's everything. It is everything in the big leagues. I mean, you got 81 games at home, and if you can't take the majority of those at home, then how are you going to go out on the road and win? Uh, you got to be comfortable when you come home. 
And, you know, that's what we're seeing out of the young guns, especially. I mean, they're comfortable when they play in the trop, and they're able to get the job done right now. They're coming through in clutch situations. They're just finding ways to win. And when you can find ways to win, it's so much better. You start looking forward to coming home, start looking forward to playing in the trop, uh, in a controlled environment. And, uh, it, you know, you want that to be your advantage. And, obviously, that's what we're starting to see from these Rays. You know, you said it, you know, five consecutive games we've won at Tropicana Field. And there's no reason to think that we can't win a six today, you know, with Andres on the bump. So, uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun to watch these guys going forward. But, man, I, I think the most inspiring, the, the best part about watching this team right now is all the young guys, you know, coming up and, and doing such a great job at such a young age. And also the maturity of some of the other young guys who've been here. Blake Snell, uh, you were in Houston. The fact that he got through seven with all the walks and allowed only one run against that lineup, I thought pretty impressive. Dude, I, that was like an Easter miracle to me. <laughs> if you go out there and you say, all right, we're going to walk you know, six, seven guys. I think one of them was intentional. Yes. But you're going to walk six, seven guys against one of the best lineups in the game, and you're still going to go out there and outpitch Justin Verlander. I mean, who would have thought that was going to happen? But obviously he did. Um, you talk about another guy who knows that he belongs in the major leagues. Blake Snell, from the beginning of spring training, you know, me and you were calling games in spring training. We were watching this guy pitch, and it, he just elevated himself to a new level. Um, the aggressiveness he had in the strike zone, obviously we didn't see that. He was a little erratic last time out, but he found a way to win. You know, and I, I just talked about this. Guys who find ways to win, they find ways to stay out on that mound for six, seven innings, even if they don't have their best stuff. That's more impressive to me than going out there and punching out the first seven, you know, against Seattle when you're just flawless. I mean, that that's obviously something to, you know, it's very awe-inspiring. But when you see somebody go out there without their best stuff and able to go through seven innings, you know, pitch extremely well against one of the best lineups in the game, you know, that says a lot about the character, um, about everything about Blake Snell. And, you know, he has truly developed into a top-tier elite pitcher not just for the Rays, but in all of Major League Baseball. Doug, great stuff. Thanks very much for the time. Of course, buddy. Great hearing from you. That is Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun. Let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is gone! WPTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Time now to look at the minor league side with double-A manager Brady Williams of Montgomery. Brady, congrats on a solid first half. You guys came awful close to making the postseason. Yeah, I was uh, excited um, um, how we finished up. Um, obviously, we started off uh, a little rough, um, but guys kind of came together. and We went on a pretty good run there at the end of the second half. Uh, at one point, we were 16-25, and 25, so 41 games in, nine games under, and to finish um, five games above 500. Um, to end the first half was was uh, a test to the, the guys on, uh, out there in the field. And hopefully we can continue that going in the second half. Um, but a lot of good things going on in the field. And a lot of guys who made the, the first half all-star team. Touch on your all-stars, uh, specifically, let's say, Nick Solak. I know he's probably been, what, your most, cons- most consistent guy? Yeah, he's been very good offensively, uh, moving around defensively, playing some second, left field, center field. Just having a really nice season. Now, as it stands right now, he's leading the league in runs scored and RBIs, which is pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's hitting the order, some of the big hits, just uh, a big part of our success. And uh, hopefully, he can continue doing that. And hopefully, we can move on and have him go up to uh, the next level before the season's over with. 
you know, Brandon Lau already did that, and they were kind of playing, what, a similar role? Probably the only difference is Nick is playing some center field where Brandon played just second and left? Yeah, I mean, they were both kind of, you know, moving around out there, and they were hitting 3-4 in the lineup and feeding off each other's energy and kind of pulling from one another. It was, it was kind of a, a very nice uh, tandem and combo um, for the first half. Uh, obviously, Brandon moved on to, to Durham and happy for him, well-deserved, well-earned, because he, he put together a nice first half. And good to see our own guys, you know, these, these guys keep coming up and moving on to the, to the higher levels. And you're seeing some of those guys in the big leagues now, and hopefully it can continue. Let's stay with some of those guys in the lineup. I know he got off to a slow start, but it looks like he's found his stride. Ryan Bull, too. You know, I heard great things about how consistent he was last year in Port Charlotte. Yeah, and he's said it consistent. You know, I, he struggled first by a couple of weeks, but since then he's he's been one of our workhorses in the middle of the order, second, third, fourth, fifth in the lineup. He's, uh, he brings consistency every single day, uh, quality of bats, solid contact, moving runners, driving guys in, scoring runs. Uh, he's played left field, center field, right field. So he kinda, he's kind of just a, just a solid uh, baseball player and, and, and doing a nice job. You know, Nathan Lucas, I think, probably doesn't get a lot of attention in the organization, but he also has had pretty impressive numbers so far this season. Yeah, you're right. You know, he's, he's just like that, that, the kid that's overlooked uh, unfairly at times, but He's, he's earning it now. I mean, he's, he continues to hit every every level that he's been at. He's hit, um, and he's a, he's a very, very good outfielder. I would say above-average outfielder. He has a strong arm. Probably sits more in right, but he can play center. Uh, he's hitting 300 uh, again, and I, I like what he's doing offensively. He's having better at bats, making more consistent contact, and he's got 16 doubles, so hopefully he can continue doing that. Speaking of hitting, a guy who has hit throughout the organization is uh, Brett Sullivan. Yeah, Sully, uh, you know, hats off to him because he got up to a really rough start. You know, after, I want to say a month into the season, he was probably hit 160, 170, uh, just really struggling. And to his credit, you know, he got going in Birmingham, and he hasn't looked back since. Uh, to make the All-Star team starting that bad was, was awesome to watch him kind of get over the hump because he, he can hit. He's hitting almost 280 now. He's driving guys in almost 40 RBIs. Uh, he's actually leading our team in stolen bases surprisingly coming from a catcher so a lot of things that he does well and good to see him get going and hopefully continue doing that for the next uh couple two and a half months speaking of bouncing back and we're chatting with brady williams montgomery's manager how about jay cronenworth he was what over 30 something and he's gotten his average above 200 which is really hard to do yeah it's kind of been the theme for this whole group really i mean all the hitters you know we, we struggled so uh much early on that all these guys had to kind of bounce back and, and crony did that Started the season 0 for 30, got his first hit actually in Triple A. We moved him up, got his first hit for the season in Triple A. Came back down and slowly and has grinded his way up to 209. Played a really nice shortstop for us, producing runs, staying positive. So hopefully, um, you know, with, with all those things going for him, he can continue doing that as well. You know, the two guys who didn't struggle when they got the promotion are Nate Lowe and Pete Maris. How good have these kids been? And and what makes Nate, I mean, he's probably had the best year of anyone in the organization so far. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say better than expected, but for these guys to do what they did when they came up was pretty pretty special. You know, between the two of them, they got seven homers in, in a week and a half. Uh, they're driving big runs in. You know, I think Nate's hitting almost 400. Uh, Petey's hitting almost 400. So for them to kind of get up here and kind of give us a little spark uh, to end our first half was big for us. But also, I mean, I've seen Petey for the last couple of years, and I'm really glad that he finally got here because he can do some special things. He's kind of an unheralded kid, but there's a lot of things that he does well. 
and Nate, it's finally good to see him, you know, in person. Never really got to see him play a whole lot, uh, but glad he's here and he's he's a, he's a, he's going to be a, a big part of our success in the second half. Let's touch on your pitching staff. Two uh, kids made your all-star team. One, I think, is probably considered more a prospect than the other, Genesis Cabrera, and also Zach Lee, who was a prospect with the Dodgers. Yeah, Genesis uh, got up to a really nice start. You know, the first the first month he was he was kind of lights out. Went to a little lull there in the middle part, found his rhythm again, and then struggled again at the uh, end of the first half. Just kind of his release point, overthrowing the ball. Uh, he needs to get back to pitching and executing his pitches because uh, he has the stuff to, to consistently go out there and throw seven innings. Uh, you know, the league. I think the league's hitting. Like I think he has the best average against in the league. So guys aren't really hitting him well. It's just more about him throwing strikes. And then uh, Zach Lee, uh, who we, who we got uh, this winter, um, former big leaguer, but he's he's done a really nice job here. He's been been uh, probably our best pitcher. Consistently goes out there and pitches the contact, um, gives us seven pretty much seven innings almost every time now. He's got eight wins. Fun watching the pitch. Like I said, he's been he's been our workhorse all season, and I would expect him to to be an option for for AAA shortly. And I know there have been a lot of injuries at the big league club that have kind of trickled down. It's given a lot of relievers some opportunity. Um, one of them I wanted to touch on was one of the guys the Rays got from the Giants in the Evan Longoria deal. How's Matt Crook Barrett? I know he's got plus stuff. Very good stuff. He's a left-handed thrower who throws a – it's almost like a right-handed slider, his fastball, um, just the way it looks from the side, almost unhittable. I talked to opposing hitters all the time. They're like, who's this Crook guy? I mean, I can't even see his. I can't even see his, his fastball. Uh, it just it just disappears. Uh, the the key with him is is throwing it over the obviously the the, the, the white part of the plate because when he gets um, east and west is when he gets in trouble. But when he's north and south, very dominating stuff. Um, the league's hitting 140 off of him, and I don't think he's given up a hit yet to a left-handed hitter. So just continue to, to develop him throwing strikes and going after hitters. And uh, another kid you guys got in a trade was Curtis Taylor, who came over in the Brad Boxberger deal from Arizona. And I know he's also uh, – he was a kid who got promoted this year. Yeah, correct. I mean, tall, lanky kid, big arm, you know, working on his changeup, a fastball slider right now. He's, uh, he's done a nice job. I think, you know, as of right now, he's a multi-inning guy. We're trying to keep him uh, stretched out and, and, and make sure that he pro- has proper rest uh, in between his outings just so he stays crisp and sharp. Uh, I, I can see him eventually going into a more dominant role as far as one inning, maybe closer type guy, because uh, he does have the stuff. But right now we're just trying to develop his pitches and keep him healthy. And another guy who's got plus stuff, I think he pitched in, what, all three levels last year in Yoel Espinal, and it sounds like he's got the found the plate a little bit more this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been his MO, you know, since we got him. He's got really big stuff. You know, he can throw the ball up to 99 miles an hour, uh, really good slider and a good changeup. Uh, the key is, with him is obviously throwing strikes and to his credit and, and to our development pitching wise, you know, working last year with Marty Demerit, uh, kind of figuring out what he needs to do. And he's, he's, he's done that. I mean, he has four walks on the year. He's throwing 20 innings. He's throwing strikes with all three pitches. If he can keep, continue to do that, he has electric stuff and has a chance to be very special. It's just staying consistent and throwing the ball all over the plate. Well, good stuff, Brady, as usual. I appreciate a few minutes, and we wish you good luck in the second half, and hopefully we're uh, talking more about you know, your kids evolving and developing during the course of this second half. Yeah, I appreciate it, uh, Neil, and it's always good talking to you.
And that's double-A manager Brady Williams of the Montgomery Biscuits. Charlotte was also around 500 in the first half, and they're managed by Ronaldo Ruiz. Ronaldo, you finished over 500. Pretty interesting half for your group with a lot of movement. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, it's been a, a, a you know roller coaster, but uh, uh, the first half we finished uh, uh, the first half very strong, and hopefully we can carry that momentum going towards uh, the second half. One guy who's been consistent all the way through has been Jesus Sanchez. How impressive has he been, especially for a guy as young as he is for that league? He's very impressive. I think, you know, uh, at the beginning of the season, he was a little, uh, he, he was not used to the league. And right away, I mean, after two two weeks of uh, into the season, he starts doing a bit better and he hasn't stopped. He's a steady uh, hitter and uh, off, uh, defensively he's making a lot of improvement and a lot of strike. He was playing, he's been playing center field, right field, all three positions in the outfield. So it's very impressive for uh, a 20 year old uh, player like him. Play the way he's been playing is, is impressive. Is he as good as any player in that league that you've seen this year? Yeah, definitely. I think he's uh, he's he's in the top uh, uh, three best hitters in the league, and, and, and I mean he's he's done everything. He's been uh, um, you know he can get on base, he can hit for power, he can drive in runs. He, he's he's done everything offensively and defensively. Solid defender. I think he's uh, making all the routine outs, uh, going after ball. So he's he's uh, improving and, and 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 making a lot of strides. Another guy who's put up pretty good numbers is Lucius Fox. How has he grown uh, over the course of the year? I think, you know, uh, one of the things that um, yeah, he, he was uh, trying to improve was his defense. And uh, definitely he has got much better this year. He's a uh, very solid uh, defender. His range is off the charts. And offensively, he's another steady uh, uh, hitter that, uh, you know, he puts the ball in play. He uses his speed. He is a land right hitter. He gets on base, he can do base, he can do a lot of stuff on the base. So he's an athlete and improving uh, every day defensively, and uh, he's another player that we have to keep an eye on. You know, another kid who's made marked growth during the year, he was he was in his first year in the system, and he started kind of slow, but I think you told me at the time he's getting a lot of hard outs, and now uh, he's getting results too. Tristan Gray, what has impressed you about the way Tristan has handled his first season since the trade from Pittsburgh? I think you know he, he uh, you know he didn't start off a good start early in the season, but then it starts doing about much better. He's the he's leading the league in doubles this year, so uh, it's impressive the way he um, you know he he never he, he grind a bat, he worked hard, even though he went through a really tough uh, uh, run. You know after the first month, he starts doing about much better, and defensively he's short stop third base. Uh, second base for the most part, and, and he's a very steady and solid player. There's a couple kids on your roster who I think probably don't get a lot of attention, but they were with you in Bowling Green, and they keep putting up numbers. Robbie Tenerowitz and Miles Mastroboni, what makes those kids good players in this league, and, and how good can each of those kids be? Well, um, Neil, these two kids are gamers. Uh, Tenerowitz, he can play multiple positions, in the, in, uh, and he's very valuable. He Grinds a bat, he fights every bat. He's he's hitting 300 uh, all year, and he's been playing first base, left field, second base. He's a very very mature player, and uh, like I say, he's a gamer. And Mastroboni the same way. He can play the outfield, he can play the infield, he can be a leadoff guy. He can, you know, bond. He can do a lot of stuff, and and, and that's why he's one of you know he's, he's very valuable. 
especially for our team. You know, I mentioned that the great year that the Jesus Sanchez, who's a very talented prospect, has had. I know that I've heard good things about Josh Lowe defensively. I know he got off to a great start. I've heard he's also coming around a little bit offensively. What's this year been like? Because I think last year when you had him in Bowling Green, he had a tough first half and a really good second half. Do you think he'll make those kind of jumps this half too? Yeah, I think so. He's, uh, you know, the thing is he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, a, he's an athlete. He's improving defensively. He's making a lot of strides. Offensively, he's, uh, you know, uh, had some ups and downs. But the key has a lot of bat speed and, and some of that is, um, you know, he's in between right now. That's why he's having trouble to be consistent offensively. But uh, he's coming around. I think he's going to be much better. Last year was the same thing. First half, he was all right. But now the, the, then the second half, he did much better. I think it's going to be the case this year, too. He's, uh, like I say, he has a lot of bat speed and, 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 and it's tough for him to uh, control that bat speed and also you know, he for average, he's trying to cover a lot of play. Uh, he tried to cover the whole play. And, you know, he's right, right now he's uh, in between. But I think he's going to be uh, one of those, you know, kids that uh, second half is going to be much better. And, 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 and defensively, he made a lot of strikes and making a lot of very, very uh, um, good plays in the outfield. Chatting with Ronaldo Ruiz, manager for the Charlotte Stonecrabs. And, Ronaldo, let's touch on a couple of your pitchers. Um, it looks on paper like uh, both Willie Ortiz and Brock Burke have had uh, pretty good seasons in starting roles. Yeah, um, Willie Ortiz has been uh, consistent all year. Um, he's a strong arm. He throws, you know, I've seen him throw 100 miles per hour. And in, in, uh, in, in final, you know, the, the, the command of his fast voice is there now, and, and, and that's why it's so fun, it's fun to watch him pitch right now because uh, the command is, is there, and, and, and that's one of the things that we were – Hoping to see him on Ortiz now, you know, he's making those strikes and and and, and that's why he's having uh, the year that he's having. Burke is uh, another kid that uh, with a big arm, he's a less than the pitcher, turns 95, 94, and, and and he has special spin rate on his fastball. is 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 amazing, and and the way hitters can hit off his fastball is is impressive, and he's now. Like I say, he's another kid that is improving his command, and, and that's why he's uh, having the success he's having this uh, this year. One other starting pitcher I wanted to touch on, Blake Bivens. I know he was hurt early in the year. It looks like since he's come on, he's done very, very well for you. He's doing an unbelievable job. Since he got off, uh, off the DL, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's been very consistent on the mound. He's given us five, six innings every time, and and. and, and you know, one of the things that uh, I remember because uh, I had him uh, two years ago uh, is the command. And now, you know, the command is there, the velocity is there. He, he touches 93, 94 uh, with a good command of uh, all his pitches. He can throw a change, a big curveball for strike. So he's, he's uh, hopefully, you know, um, not going to stay healthy, but uh, what I see right now, he's, uh, he's doing really good. Well, Ronaldo, we appreciate a few minutes. Good stuff as usual. Uh, good luck in the second half, and we'll speak with you soon. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. That's Stone Crabs manager Ronaldo Ruiz coming up here from a longtime Rays employee. Plus, we'll look at the leaders in the AL East after this on the Rays Baseball Network. <laughs> Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th anniversary season. Hi, my name's Mitch Lukovics. I'm Director of Minor League Operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. I've been employed here since November 9th, 1995. So tell me what you remember about when you were hired and if anything sticks out from your first day ever here. I can remember I was the Gulf Coast League pitching coach 
1996 for the Gulf Coast League Rays. Bill Evers was our manager, and it was quite exciting. We had 7,000-plus fans at Al Lang uh, Stadium, and uh, Pablo Ortega was on the mound. We got beat by the Yankees that day, but it was quite an exciting day for an expansion franchise. First game, uh, so-called, in franchise history, although the major leagues weren't starting until 1998. It was a really big uh, day for us, Tampa Bay Devil Rays at that time. Do you remember anything special about the time you were hired and what it meant to you at the time? Well, it's as proud, you know, I, I lived in Tampa, so... Uh, my last organization was with the New York Yankees there in Tampa, so that that uh, worked quite well personally, uh, uh, of course, with family. And uh, uh, who who would know that at that time, uh, in the end of 1995, this would be my last major league club to work for since uh, this is my 23rd year. So what's been the best part about working for the race for you? The ownership, the people. Um, everybody that I've worked with here over the years, uh, of course, getting to the World Series in 2008 has to be a highlight. The playoff years and going from a, a ball club that uh, we didn't win in the early years to be very competitive to today. All of us here, uh, especially for us who have been here from the beginning, we're, we're quite proud of that. What's your best memory on the field, and where were you when it happened? Oh, the best, the best uh, memory was when... That bad hop to Iwamura, Game 7 against Boston, he caught that and and tugged second base, and we're going the World Series. That, without a question, is the most exciting exciting time here for me. And luckily, I I was on the dugout. Um, By coincidence, uh, R.J. Harrison and our families, by coincidence, going to our seats in the 200 section, stumbled on these uh, wonderful seats on the dugout so it was uh, quite exciting and quite remarkable if you were to have a hot dog what do you put on it oh mustard and onions love hot dogs mustard and onions put a little chili on maybe every once in a while so absolutely favorite baseball movie sandlot hello you know being a kid we're all kids i don't care how old we are we're all kids sandlot is my favorite baseball movie it just makes you feel feel like a kid again that's Mitch Lukovitz, and may he always have that young spirit with the Rays. Time now for a look at the national ALE's picture. Joining us, Eric Boland, who covers the Yanks for Newsday. Eric, thanks for a few minutes. The Yanks on a pace for 100-plus wins. Where, if at all, has his team been better than you thought? I have to say, Neil, there really isn't much surprising about the, the Yankees because, and, and you know, in spring training, the talk was this lineup's going to hit perhaps a, a record amount of home runs of uh, this offense top to bottom is going to be one of the best if not the best in baseball uh, the bullpen should be one of the best if not the best in baseball and the rotation has question marks but it's kind of underrated in its own way and and it should be fine and, and do enough to keep them in games and all of those things have have transpired that way. They have one of the best offenses, if not the best in, in the, the sport. Uh, the bullpen after, you know, a little bit of a rough first three weeks of the season uh, really has been locked down. Uh, and the starting pitching, even though they've lost a couple of guys, they've brought some some 
guys up that have done well. Uh, Domingo Herman, you know, first and foremost, I think he's got 26 strikeouts in his last uh, three starts. Uh, he's been very good. And, you know, look, and I'm sure we'll get into this uh, in the, later in the segment, uh, there's a lot of bad teams. There's a lot of average bad teams that, that the Yankees are beating up on. They're beating the good competition, obviously. You don't have the kind of record that they have and, and only beat the bad teams. But there's just so much mediocrity to – uh, less than mediocrity in in the sport um, that I, I'm really not surprised that much surprised by the uh, by the record. Maybe the the success of Andujar and Torres at the same time. I, I don't think that was necessarily anticipated, but uh, the overall success of the team, I, I can't say it's a shock. The separation though between the Yankees, let's say, along with Houston and Boston from the rest of the league. I mean, you've got three teams right now that are pacing for 110 wins, which is unfathomable in this day and age yeah and and i i I go back to just the the overall uh quality or lack thereof in the sport it's so top heavy that um you know all of these teams they're not breathers there's no breathers all these guys are professional athletes but you know you can see over a nine inning game just the, the the better team surging. I can't tell you how many times this year the Yankees it's been tied or they've been down three to two in the sixth or seventh inning, and then uh, the fourth reliever from the other team comes in and there's a walk, a bloop, and a home run, and bang, the, you know. And then the Yankees bullpen does it does its business and and they get out of there with a win. It seems like I've watched that game, you know, fifteen twenty times this year against some of the you know. The, the mid to, to lower level uh, teams. And my guess is, and I haven't seen obviously Red Sox or Astros games beyond the ones that they played against the Yankees, but I suspect those teams have played a, a lot of similar games as well. So how do you handicap those three teams right now? And if there is a need for the Yankees going into the trading deadline or here in June and, and then July following, what is it? I mean, it's starting pitching and, and it's no secret. And Brian Cashman, since last November at the GM meetings, he very publicly said, I'm trying to add depth to our rotation. I, I need a starter. I want a starter. None of that has changed, and the injury to Jordan Montgomery didn't change it, and the, the recent injury with Masahiro Tanaka, and he should be back in two or three weeks, uh, hasn't changed that. You know, it's always humorous to me when, when you hear you know, fans or even media say, oh, to go out and get a starter, as if, you know, it's there's a magical formula and you pull one out of a hat. You know, it takes two to tango, sometimes three to tango with those three-team deals, um, and it also takes time and circumstance of, of a guy being available on a team that's out of it and is, and is looking to sell. And so it's not so simple as, you know, oh, okay, now we're just going to go get guy x who who is the top of the rotation guy number one there aren't that many of those those guys available uh and number two when, when you look in in the new york Degrom and Cindergard, and you, and you see all of that speculation i i would say that there's you know less than well zero percent chance that a deal like that gets done uh for a variety of reasons uh in, in new york but um you know you can't just make those things will them into into being and people think it's a lot simpler than it is so i do think the yankees will get a pitcher at the deadline but i think it might be more in terms of minor surgery than major surgery so what would be more realistic and in terms of the luxury tax, they want to stay under the cap. So how much maneuverability do they actually have 
going into that stretch. Uh, they've got room, and, and Hal Steinbrenner at the owners' meetings uh, a couple of weeks ago said, you know, we budgeted for this. They're in the range. You know, it's, it's difficult to get an exact figure, but $10, 12000000 million range. Remember, these things are prorated, so even a guy that's making $14 million, you'd owe him, you know, six and a half, seven, probably the rest of the year. You know, so there's room for something like that. And depending on how you, you structure the trade, the, the, the team giving you the pitcher might end up paying a little bit more or less, um, depending on how things uh, – you know, are, are structured there, but something that that they have room for, they can get a, they could fit a Cole Hamels uh, in. Um, you know, but again, the, the teams have to match up, and the asking prices are going to be high. And this is something that the fans don't always realize either is that there's competition for these guys uh, and that the Yankees aren't the only team that are that are looking for quality starting pitching so uh, you know the the Blue Jays who might be moving a guy like J.A. Happ uh, you know that they can ask for you know the the sky and the moon and the stars and, and they're in a position to uh, to get it similarly the way the, the Yankees were able to ask for Glaber Torres for a role as Chapman a couple of years ago. So that said, who's on the no-move list in terms of the Yankees' prospects right now that you would think, regardless of what pitcher is available, that's a guy who they want to keep in their system? Well, I mean, I, we asked Brian Cashman a form of that question a week or so ago. A few reporters got him down on the field before a game at, at Yankee Stadium, and and he basically said he he was asked you know is Glaber Torres a guy that you would consider moving and and he said you know I've got to work walk around this city uh, he's not going anywhere I can't imagine Andujar is going uh, would be going anywhere I really think that you know you know they don't want to move a, a Justice Sheffield or uh, you know even a Chance Adams who I I think maybe they're a little bit down on um, and scouts that I've talked to are a little bit down on him as well those are their two top pitching prospects. Um, but I don't think that there's anybody that, that you would say is absolutely untouchable in the system. But it's not going to be for um, a, a middle-of-the-road innings-eater type of pitcher either. And I, again, suspect that's going to be the type of guy that they're, they're going to end up bringing in. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Neil. Glad to be on with you. And that is Eric Bolin of Newsday. Special thanks to him and all our guests today, Matt Duffy, Doug Wechter, Brady Williams, Ronaldo Ruiz as well as Mitch Lukovitz. If you ever have someone you'd like to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week on our program, you'll hear from the opener, Ryan Stanek, to open the show and much, much more. From my producer, Jason Berenger, and on site, Matt Infield, Neil Solon saying stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. rises up, lowers to the belt, looks towards first, he pitches, swing and a miss, he struck him out. The Rays have held on. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.